0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Ephesians chapter 2. Continuing to study through Paul's letter to this church at Ephesus. We've looked at chapter 1 in its entirety. Now we begin chapter 2 this morning in our text. And Paul is discussing the wealth that we possess as believers in Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you sit here and there's like a big fat goose egg in your bank account. And I know that feeling. I know what that's all about. You know, like you're just living paycheck to paycheck. And, and a lot of us are and a lot of us um, are in that situation. But know this, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're wealthy beyond anything that you could ever imagine, think or dream of. That we are wealthy in Christ. And Paul is discussing this wealth in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And certainly as we look at chapter 2, we're continuing to see the wealth that we possess as believers in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul said in chapter 1, verse 3, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Not most, not some but every spiritual blessing. We've been given everything we need for a life of godliness. And we've been talking about that. We've been talking about this wealth that we have as believers. And Paul will transition into our walk in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. And so we do put it into practice. This wealth does need to be applied. There is a way in which the rubber has to meet the road. But Paul, first of all, talks about what Jesus has done for you. And maybe you grew up all your life hearing about what you need to do for God. Maybe you grew up in a church and that was the focus. What you need to do for God. Don't, don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't date girls that do. You know, in fact, don't, don't date, period. Don't even look at a woman, right? That mean, and it was all about what you can do. And that was the focus. It was about you. It was about your good works. It was about your efforts. And that was the focus. And the thing is, is that that's not the focus of the Bible. The focus of the Bible is what Jesus has done for you. And then in light of that, we respond. And it it makes a world of difference. It makes a world of difference when you're responding to something rather than initiating it. We don't initiate God's love. We respond to it. We already have it. And we already have this wealth. And that's what we want to look at this morning. In fact, we're going to see three things in our text. If you're a note taker, we're going to see what sin does. We're going to see what Jesus did. And then we're going to see what God is doing. What sin does, what Jesus did, and what God is doing. Let's read our text and then we'll look at those things. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Lord, as we come before Your Word again, God, it's with expectant hearts Lord, it's with a recognition that we have no ability to even understand Your Word apart from Your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for illumination. Lord, I pray that the things that You speak through me, God, would be from You. And that, Lord, You would open our ears that we might hear. That, God, You would open our eyes that we might see. Lord, cause Your Word to take root in our heart and to produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the first thing... Is what sin does. Verses 1 through 3 makes it very clear. And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in those things. We were dead in trespasses. That word trespass, it's familiar to us, right? It's like when you go on somebody else's property. I'm sure there's no hunter in here that's ever done that before. When you go creep, you cross fences, you ignore signs, and you go on someone else's property, that's called trespassing. Well, when we trespass against God, it means that we've crossed the line. We've went around His boundaries that He set up. The parameters that He placed. Sin is simple. It just means to miss the mark. You could picture like a an archery target and you shoot that, that bow. And if you're like me, you miss the target, the whole target, a lot. That's why I don't shoot bows anywhere around people. You know, it's just... Me, myself, and, and a lot of empty space. Because I miss the mark a lot. And, and you know what? As people, we miss the mark. That's what sin is. It means God set up a target. He said this is perfection, and we miss it. Some of, it have, some of us have missed it a lot in our life. And we were dead in trespasses. We were dead in sins. Notice Paul doesn't say that you were ill, that you were kind of sick, that things weren't going so well. No, you were dead. Dead is it like you can do nothing, you can accomplish nothing. You remember that movie, Weekend at Bernie's, where, where the, the, the uncle died? And then they like, brought him all over the place. And they, because I don't remember the ramifications, but for some reason he wasn't supposed to die. And they needed him for the weekend, and so they, they had to make him look alive. And, and they had to pretend like he was alive. And they had him out water skiing and all this stuff. And, and they had him propped up at the table, pretending like he was eating. You know, he had like a fork like this. And the thing is, though, he was dead. He couldn't do any of those things. And dead means dead. Dead means you're incapable of doing anything of any value, of any substance. And that's what we were. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in sin. And so sin brings death. That's the first thing. Before you knew Christ, you were dead. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the end result of sin is that it's death. Jesus said that he has come to bring life, right? I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And we like that verse, John chapter 10, verse 10. But Jesus also said that the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he wants to do, and that's the same thing that sin does. It steals, it kills, it destroys, it brings death. Now, we read this and we think, yeah, that's the world, man. That's people that don't know the Lord. They're dead. They're going to hell. It's not good. And we, that's what we read here. And I've heard a lot of messages about that and, and just, you know, bringing out all the stuff about death and about how people are dying and going to hell and all this stuff. And the thing is that as believers, sin brings the same result in our life. It brings death. Even if you're a believer here this morning, which I hope that all of us are, but even if you're a believer here this morning, sin has the same result in your life. It brings death. Marriages are dying because of sin, because of poor choices that we've made, because of selfishness, because of pride, because of unforgiveness. Marriages are dying. Relationships between kids and parents are dying because of sin. Relationships between friends are dying because of sin. Your, your environment at work could be put to death because of your sin, because of your choice to rebel against God. Sin brings death no matter where you're at in this life. It will kill you. It will destroy you. Another thing that sin does is it leads us astray. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world... And so you picture just walking, and you're walking on this path. It's the path of this world. It's a path that's away from God, that's opposed to God. That's why we're told to repent. Repent means that you turn 180 degrees. You turn from your sin toward God. But previous to knowing Christ, we were walking 180 degrees away from God. We were doing our own thing, our own way, and we were opposed to God. We were enemies of God. It wasn't like this neutral kind of relationship, you know, that people want to pretend they have. You know, like I believe in God, but, you know, we're just not that tight. No, it doesn't work that way. You're either a child of God or you are an enemy of God. There's no in-between. It's just like these people who, who want to rally against the war. And they think that because they are going to hold up a sign that says we love, you know, Muslims, that all of a sudden the Muslims are just going to love us, right? Yeah. Why don't you take that sign over there and see what happens? They'll shoot you just as quick as they would shoot one of our soldiers. They hate Americans. That's the thing. And that's the same thing in regard to the enmity that we have with God previous to knowing Jesus. It was the sin in us that created a separation between God and man. And this separation, it drew us away. It drew us away to the world, the course of this world. It drew us away to the devil. It says, according to the prince of the power of the air. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. He exists in a dimension outside of the dimension that we see with our two eyes. But he's there, he's powerful, and he wants to destroy you. And he's the God of this world. And so as the God of this world, he has his agenda. And the reason why he's the God of this world is because when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, God gave Satan the rulership of this world for a time. But when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus began to make the way for him to purchase it back. And ultimately, when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on this earth, he will rule and reign. But right now, because of Our choice, because of man's rebellion, the devil is ruling this world. And that's why we see the world going to hell in a handbasket. And people, Christians a lot of times, they want to go and they want to picket against things. They want to picket sin. You know, they want to write a sign and they think that's going to solve homosexuality. Last time I checked, writing a sign doesn't solve anything. But we think that we're going to to rally and picket against sin. You guys... Until the devil is dealt with, this world will be following in his path of destruction. Now we can make choices for ourselves. But let's not be surprised as we see this world continually going into a downward downward spiral to destruction. And it leads us astray. It's the second thing. It leads us to the course of this world. It leads us after the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. And again, there's application for us as believers. Because sin, you guys, it leads you astray. Sin will lead you off the path that God has for you. Sin will lead you to places that you don't want to go. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will take from you much, much more than you ever intended to give. That's what sin does. It starts out enjoyable. It's always fun, otherwise we wouldn't do it. Like if sin was a real bummer at the beginning, then we wouldn't do it. And that'd be kind of cool. Just be like if chocolate tasted nasty, we wouldn't eat it. If fried food didn't taste so good, we wouldn't eat it. If sin wasn't so fun, we wouldn't do it. And in the moment, hey, in the moment, blowing your top feels good. It feels right. Just exploding and telling somebody what you wanted to say for years, I mean, that feels right. It feels good. But then there's guilt and there's destruction. And there's hurt feelings and broken relationships as a result. At the moment, sex outside of the way God has set it up feels right. It feels good. It's amazing. And nobody would say that it isn't. You know, there's these people that want to say, well, sex inside of marriage and outside of marriage, it's not the same. Hey, it feels good outside of marriage. There's no question about that. If you try to tell your kids it's not not very good, you're lying to them. I don't know that experientially because I was a virgin when I got married, but let's just say that we can all pretty much know that if it wasn't good, people wouldn't do it. It feels good, but then it brings destruction. It brings broken relationships. It hurts marriages down the road and all of the rest. And that's what sin does. It leads us astray. It leads us to places that we never wanted to go. I mean, how many people you know, set out to end up where they do, in in destruction. I was just in Seattle yesterday, and I bought this homeless guy a meal. And, you know, he's he's, he's got three strings on a guitar, and he was asking for money to buy strings for his guitar, so I bought him some food instead. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this guy didn't set out to end up where he's at. When he wrote his paper to... You know, in school, if he ever wrote one that that said, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what's your goals in life? He didn't say, you know, I want to be a homeless guy. I want to be a bum begging for food out in front of McDonald's in downtown Seattle. I don't think that was his goal in life. But somehow, some way, through more than likely poor choices on his part, he has ended up where he's at. And you know what? All the people in this community who are strung out on meth, all the people that we see on TV who are you know, going to prison or who have you know, ended up with some type of venereal disease or AIDS or whatever, they didn't plan to be there. They didn't plan on that happening, but it did. Because sin leads you astray. It leads you to places that you never wanted to go. And as a believer, if you toy with sin, it will lead you astray. It will lead you away from God. Another thing that sin does is found in verse 3, it empowers our flesh. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. So, previous to Christ, I mean, we had no choice but to give in to the flesh. Can you remember that? When you basically were just given over to the flesh. Whatever felt good, whatever seemed right, whatever. You wanted to do, that's what you did, and you had no choice. But here again, there's application for us. The flesh, you guys, is dead in our life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that we are dead to sin. However, it's rendered inoperative, which means that it still has a voice. It still has some power in your life. You just have to render it inoperative on a daily basis. And so it's it's still got that that little voice there, it's, it's still got power if you give it power. You have to die to it on a daily basis. But if you feed the flesh, wow, it makes it a lot easier to give into the flesh. It's just like if, if you're fertilizing your grass and you get a whole bunch of fertilizer out into the weeds and stuff. I mean, the weeds like the fertilizer just as well as the grass does. And you're feeding the weeds. All of a sudden you got these big, luscious, green weeds you ever notice that weeds grow way faster than real plants and they grow anywhere? You can't get a plant to grow, but weeds just grow through the sidewalk, you know? I mean, the same thing is true with the flesh. And if you feed the flesh, it will be powerful. It's like letting a chimpanzee out of the cage in a zoo. You let it out of the cage, it's going to go wild. And it's going to be really, really hard to get it back in. And you know what? You let the flesh out. You let him out of the cage, and it's really, really hard to get him back in. It's really difficult. And if you've been giving into the flesh, well, guess what? Sin begets sin. It just creates it. It just feeds it. And your flesh is hungry, and it wants more, and it wants more. So if you look at your life right now, and and your life is defined by these things, your life is defined by death, death in, in maybe your marriage, death in relationships, death in your walk with God, there's just a deadness you don't even sense His presence. You don't sense any activity in your heart. There's been nothing new that He's doing. The Bible says that God wants to to give us a new song. A new song. When was the last time God gave you a new song? And I don't mean like a worship song. I just mean something new and fresh and alive in your life. Maybe there's deadness in your life because of sin that you haven't dealt with. If that's what you see, if you see a lot of death and a lot of destruction, it's because you are not allowing God to do what He wants to do in you. If you're seeing that you're being led astray, that you're way off, you're out in the Tuleys, you're out in like the seven foot tall weeds, and you're hacking everything with a machete, and you have no idea where you're going. Just clueless. And it's been like months, maybe years, since you've been on the road. The road the Bible talks about that leads to everlasting life. The road the Bible says that the Word of God illuminates for us. The Word of God is that light to our path, that lamp to our feet. See, but when we get off out in the weeds and stuff, and we're doing our own thing, and we're led astray, we don't have a clue where we're going. If your flesh is ruining your life, if you've been empowered by the flesh of late, and you just can't get enough, and you're focused on all things sin on the world, your focus is on stuff material things, your focus is on the lust of your heart, your focus has been on everything other than Jesus, then you know you've got a problem. You know you've been feeding that wild animal. And once you let him out of the cage, it's really, really hard to get him back. It brings death. It leads us astray. It empowers our flesh. That's what sin does. It's a pretty, pretty picture, isn't it? Not really. But you have a choice of what you're going to do on a daily basis. The second thing is what Jesus did. What Jesus did. Verse 4, but God. Those are two of the most important words in all of the Bible. But God. You see all the stuff that we allowed to happen because of sin. The death being led astray. Our flesh ruling our life. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. We watched that video and you saw all the things that should make you pretty much unlovable. That's the bottom line is that we're unlovable. It's like that annoying neighbor, that irritating family member that you just don't really want to have a lot to do with. And you ask, you know, like at the family reunion, is, is, is so-and-so going to be there? Yeah, oh man, you know. And, or the neighbor, you see him coming and you like hide in your house. You just don't want to deal with that person, right? There's a reason for that because they're unlovable. They're irritating. Well, think about us toward God. We were unlovable. Why would God love us? Because He created us. Because He saw something in us of value that we don't see. You don't see it in me. I don't necessarily see it in you. But God sees it in us. It's just like that oyster that takes that, that irritating little grain of sand and it creates a pearl out of it. That's what God did. We were an irritant. We were a pain in His side and yet He made us into a valuable pearl because He loves us. The great love with which he loved us. And it's in the past tense. Because it's referring to a specific time in history when Jesus took on human flesh and he died in our place. That's where he loved us. He demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act, he didn't wait for things to get, you know, sort of. Um, taken care of in our life. He died for us while we were still sinners. He saw value in you. Even when no one else did. He loved us. And You guys, you need to understand God's love for you. Romans chapter 8 verse 37 tells us that if He did not spare His own Son, won't He also freely give us all things? You see, that is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. That He... Demonstrated his love for you at the cross, and now everything else filters through that understanding of how much he loves you. Everything else is a byproduct of his love as well. Whether you're just being totally blessed right now, and I mean you've got you know a bonus coming in, and you got taxes coming back, and financially you're doing great, or you just got a new car, or you remodeled your house, or you're having a baby, or or relationships are going great or your work is awesome. Whatever it is, you're thinking, man, this is so great. God must love me. I must be living right. But then things begin to fall apart and relationships are crumbling. Bank accounts empty. You lost your job. Your kids aren't doing that well. Health isn't great. And you think, man, I must be living wrong. I must be being judged by God. He must not love me. And see, it's a, it's a misunderstanding of the love of God. Because whatever is happening in your life, you guys, is a product of His love. He knows what's best for you. And you have to filter everything through His love. Whether it be quote-unquote good, what we would consider good in a blessing. Or quote-unquote bad, what we would consider bad. See, God doesn't consider it bad. We do. Driving up to our house and it's up in flames and everything's burning to the ground. We think that's bad. But see, God has eternity in mind. That house is going to burn anyway. It's not easy. I'm not saying I'd be like, you know, jumping for joy. But what I'm saying is, is that God sees things completely differently than we do. And it's a product of his love. He loves you. And you can do nothing to make him love you more than he already does. And you can do nothing to make Him love you any less than He already does. You see, the cross, you guys, the cross is the demonstration of God's love. And we can always go back to that and say, wait, this is the ultimate demonstration of His love. Everything else is filtered through that. Well, another thing that Jesus did is He made us alive. We talked about the fact that we're dead in trespasses. And verse 5 repeats that, even when we were dead in trespasses... He made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. He gave us life. He took what was dead and He brought life out of it. Only God can do that. Only God can take something that's absolutely worthless and dead and breathe life into it. You remember in Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel looked out and he saw a valley of bones. A valley of bones. And it was absolutely nothing but death. If you ever been walking like out in the forest or out in the desert and you just see a big pile of bones and it was like a cow or some other kind of animal? And it's just a pile of bones. You don't think to yourself, yep, one day that thing is going to rise back up out of the sand. It's dead. It's worthless. And Ezekiel saw that, and then yet God, by His Holy Spirit, began to form life in those bones, and He breathed life into them. And they began to take on sinew, and muscle, and skin, and God did something that would have blown their minds. And that's what He did in our life. He took death and He made it life. There's a saying, if you're born once, you'll die twice. We're all born, right? We've been born physically. But if you're only born once... You're going to die twice. You'll die physically and you'll die spiritually. And that was what Jesus was communicating to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3. Hey, if you want to know God, you have to be born again. Does that mean I crawl back up into my mother's womb? No, please don't do that. That's sick and wrong. The thing is, is that what he was talking about is that you need to be born spiritually. Not talking physical at all. He's talking about a phys- or spiritual rebirth. And if you're born twice, G- Jesus would tell Nicodemus, then you'll only die once. You have to be born again. If you're born twice, that is physically and spiritually. Then you only die once. you only die physically. And then you'll go on to be with the Lord for all eternity. Maybe some of you here this morning, maybe you've only been born once. You've only been born naturally. And you've never been born spiritually. You've not been born again. For some reason that term born again has like this negative connotation. Like, you know, oh, you're one of those born agains, you know. Hey, Jesus said you need to be born again. In fact, you must be born again. There's nothing negative about it. It's a transformation. It's a regeneration. He made us alive. Third thing, under this second point, what Jesus did, is He gave us an eternal purpose. Verse 7. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of, of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Basically what this verse is saying is that God has given you a purpose in this life and that is to be a trophy of his grace. People use their kids oftentimes, you know, as as like a way to to demonstrate how how great they are, right? We're we're proud of our kids and we want people to see that and then it's like a reflection on us. That's why people have a bumper sticker, you know, My kid is an honor student. Probably they like failed in school and now their kid's an honor student. It's like, yeah, you know, my kid's doing what I never did. Or, you know, like you're hoping that your kid's going to be a professional athlete and and you're just pouring everything into him. And that's the guy that's like screaming and yelling at the T-ball game, you know, with little five-year-olds that don't even know which way to run. and, And this guy's just out there, you know, screaming, just cussing at the ump who's getting paid like five bucks to be there. And like he really cares, you know. And the thing is, is that we put so much stock in our kids and our kids are reflection on us. And God has taken us as his kids. Taken us who were dead. Taken us who had nothing to offer. And he's made us a trophy of his grace. We're a demonstration of what God can do with a life that is surrendered to him. We are a trophy of his grace. That in the ages to come, that is eternity, he might show... The exceeding riches of His grace. He wants to show His grace in our life. He wants to show through us what He can do. Does our life reflect that? Can people look at you? Can they look at me and they say, wow, look at what God has done? Or do they look at us and go, I I don't see much going on at all. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about the fact that people can look at our life and see a difference. That's our purpose. Our purpose in this life is to demonstrate what God can do. Our purpose in this life is to be a trophy of His grace. Are are we that demonstration to a world around us? Fourth thing is that He saved us apart from our works, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we're saved by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You can define grace by an acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's riches in our life. It's unmerited, undeserved favor. That's what grace is. We didn't deserve it. It's getting what you don't deserve. We deserved hell. And God spared us from hell. That's His mercy. Verse 4 says He's rich in mercy. That's not getting what you do deserve. We deserved hell. And He spared us from that. And He could have left it at that. And maybe we could have just like floated around like soul sleep or something. Or you know, just go back into the ground. Some, some of those common beliefs. And, and, and that would have actually been merciful on His part. To spare us from hell. But He not only did that. But He lavished His grace upon us. He gave us what we don't deserve. The exceeding riches of His grace. And it's by that grace that we have been saved, and it's through faith. It's through faith. Faith is just like the hose that channels the water. It's the conduit. It's the pipe. But we don't make a big deal about pipes and conduits unless they leak, and then it's a big deal. But we don't like ooh and ah over pipes and hoses. What we ooh and ah about is the, the water that comes out, and that is God's grace. That is His salvation. And the, the faith, you guys, is just what... Allows it to, to be brought into our life. It's like the key that unlocks the treasure chest of God's blessing. But we don't make a big deal about the fact that we believe in God. Just like you don't make a big deal about the fact that somebody would open a present that you give them. I can't believe you opened that. Wow. With such skill, you, you masterfully opened that, that gift. I, I've never seen a gift opened that way. We would never do that. It'd be stupid. We, we go, hey, just tear that paper off there. Get into that thing. What, and everybody wants to know what it is. What's, what's going to be exposed from that box? What is it? He saved us apart from our works. It's by His grace, through our faith, by believing, we open the door for God to radically change our life. But it's not of works. It's a gift of God. It has nothing to do with you. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. There's no boasting in heaven. It's not going to be people going, yeah, you know, I'm pretty good and I I earned some of my way here. There's none of that. We're all there solely by the grace of God. It's not of works, which is absolutely opposed to the way that we were brought up as humans, right? We were brought up that you work hard and you'll be rewarded for that. Even as a little kid, I got an allowance. It's like two bucks a week. And as soon as I got it, I rode my bike to the little store that was down on the corner and I spent every dime of it on candy. Two bucks and it was gone in an instant. That was my introduction to being a good steward. Just blow your money as soon as you get it. Two seconds into it. Not a lot has changed. But no, I'm kidding. Um, But we're we're trained that way, right? Hey, mow the lawn, take out the trash, clean your room, make your bed, and you'll get your allowance. Work really hard in school and you'll get good grades and you'll get a good job. Be a nice person and you'll have friends. Don't kick your dog and, and he'll like you. you know, we, we understand the cause and effect. If, if you do something, you'll get something in return. If you love people, they'll love you back. If you give something, you'll get something in return. And that's kind of the way that we're brought up. And we take that into our relationship with God. And we don't understand how it cannot be by works Lord, there's got to be something I can give you. There's, there's got to be something there. And, and as I've said before, we don't like to have nothing to offer. People come over for dinner, you don't want to have nothing to offer them. I remember one time Andrew and I were invited to some friend's house, and, and we got there, and they had four or five packets of top ramen out on the table. And they're like, hey, we got the water boiling. Just choose whatever packet you want, and, and we'll go ahead and cook it up. And, you know, I, I was kind of dumbfounded. And I was like, I was like, wow. I don't want to say anything because I don't want to offend him. You know, is it is this real? Is this true? And, and they, that went on for a while, and they cooked it up, and and then you know, of course, they laughed, and they had this big old meal prepared. You know, but it was funny. <laughs> you should try it sometime on somebody. It's a great joke. <laughs> but we don't like to have nothing to offer people. You know, like, hey, what do you have to drink? I've got some, uh, you know, sour milk, and I've got some, uh, you know, tap water that tastes like chlorine. You know, oh man, do you, have any, do you have any soda? No. Do you have any juice? Yeah. You know, we don't like that. We don't like to have nothing to offer people. It's sort of embarrassing. And we don't like to have nothing to offer God. But here's the thing. We have to come to grips with the fact that you have nothing to offer God. Zero. Accept your life, which why he wants it is really the great debate, but he does. He wants our life. That's all you have to offer him is this mangled mess that you've created. It's like, here you go, Lord. Take it. It's yours. I don't really know what you're going to do with it at this point. Pretty much destroyed it, but you can have it. But we don't have anything of any value to offer the Lord. We don't have any good works to offer him. And when we try to, it's an insult. The other day, Andrew and I went to uh, to dinner and um, the waitress who, who comes to church here, uh, she wanted to buy her dinner. So she bought her dinner, and I've never had that happen before. So I said to Andrew, do we leave a tip? I don't know if we leave a tip. What are you supposed to do? If you leave a tip, it could be kind of offensive because she bought her dinner. And I don't want her to think that we're trying to, like, pay her back. But also if we don't leave a tip, then she won't have anything to give to the bus boy. And, and you know, I don't. And then she'll think maybe that we thought she didn't do a good job. What do we do? We went back and forth we give a tip? not, And I, I actually tried to call somebody, you know. <laughs> hey, what do I do? I, need a, I got a helpline here, you know. And they didn't answer, so I didn't know what to do. And so we left a tip. Figured, hey, can't go wrong with leaving money, you know. So we left a tip. That's what we ended up doing. But you know what? Sometimes we try to do that. Huh? God says, hey, it's paid for. Oh, well, here, Lord, here's a little bit. Let me, let me add something to it. And God's like, what? I don't need that. He saved us apart from our works. Well, let's talk about the last point, verse 10, what God is doing. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What God is doing. It's twofold here. God is doing a work in us and God is doing a work through us. First thing, God is doing a work in us. We are His workmanship. I love that word. In the Greek, it's poema, from which we get our word poem. We're a work of art. We're God's poem. We're a project to the Lord. Some of you guys like projects. My dad always had a project. He was always you know, bringing home some old junky car. You know, yeah, I'm going to fix that up. I'm going to paint it. I'm going to restore it. Yeah, right. It'll be here for five or six years, and then you'll take it to the junkyard. He's always bringing home some kind of project. And you know what? We're a project. We're his workmanship. We're, we're a poem. God's constantly adding to us and improving and maturing, adding stanzas to our life. He's, he's doing a work in us. But you know what, you guys? It doesn't happen passively. We just kind of think that, hey, I'll, I'll say that I'm a believer. I'll tote this, this Bible around and I'll go to church and I'll, I'll sing some songs and God will do a work in me. Hey, God might do an initial work in you, and God will will add you to the Lamb's book of life, and you'll be on your way to heaven, but you will stunt what God wants to do in your life from that point on if you don't do some basic things. The first thing is the Word of God. If you're not in the Word, God cannot do a work in you. If you're not in the Word, it's impossible for God to do a work. This is what God uses to transform our life. The Bible says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. How's our mind renewed? It's through the Word of God. We're washed by the water of the Word. All the things that sin does, bringing death, leading us astray, empowering our flesh, the Word of God does the opposite of those things. Because the Word of God draws us close to Jesus, it brings life. The Word of God is that lamp to our feet, that light to our path. It leads us where we need to go instead of astray. The Word of God depowers the flesh instead of empowers the flesh. But if you're not in the Word, man, you're going to quickly lose sight of how much you need Jesus. Quickly lose sight of that. Your flesh will run rampant. You'll be led astray. You'll bring death into your life. It's very simple. But allow God to speak to you through His Word consistently. It's not enough to come here and listen to me read the Bible. You need to be doing that on your own. On a daily, on a consistent basis if you want God to do a work in you. If you want to be His workmanship. We've all seen those projects that were like, you know, started but not completed. And and there's a lot of us this morning. God started a work in you. And you know what? Ultimately, He will finish His work in you. Philippians says that. But as you're living your life, don't you want to allow God to be maturing you, to be developing you, to be producing His work in you? You're His workmanship. But it's up to you. It's through His Word. It's through prayer. Prayer Allows God to do a work in you. But if you're not praying, and I don't mean like where you have to get on your knees and pray for like five hours. I'm just saying be in prayer. Just talk to God and allow Him to to work things out. Ask Him questions. Ask Him what He would want you to do. Ask Him to give you strength to overcome those temptations. Ask Him to help you to respond to people in love instead of in the flesh. Prayer. And not just for yourself, but for others. Praying for other people. In fellowship. God will do a work in you as you are committed to fellowship, and I don't mean standing around after church with a donut and a cup of coffee talking about the Mariners or the upcoming NFL season. Hey, and I'm guilty as the next guy about that because I I love that kind of stuff. I love talking about you know minutia. Just ask Chad. Chad and I just got back. We went up to see a Mariners game, and the whole way we were talking about like little facts and stuff, and then he'd say something, and I go, I don't think that's true. And he'd go, yeah, I think it is. Or he would go, I don't think that's true. And I'd go, yeah, I think it is. And then I would get out my BlackBerry, and I'd, go, and I'd Google it. And you know what? I was right every time. Just ask him. <laughs> In fact, I'll tell you this little story. We're sitting there at the game, and uh, th- these two guys, behind, and it's classic listening to people, right? And this guy behind me, he's talking to his buddy, and he's like, yeah, Ichiro's like six foot two. He's a big guy. I mean, he's a lot bigger than he looks. And I'm, I'm thinking, bro, Ichiro's not more than 5'10". That's what I'm thinking in my mind. But I don't want to argue. You know, I don't even know this guy. And so, like, ten minutes later, he says the same thing. Ichiro's huge. He's, he's about ready to get up there. Yeah, buddy. I mean, he's over six foot, I'm telling you. And the other guy, you could tell, he's like, he doesn't really believe him, but he doesn't want to argue. So I got out my, my phone <laughs> And I put in, how tall is Ichiro? And it Googled, it came up 5'9". So I, I turn around and I go, hey man, I, I, don't, I don't even know you, but Ichiro is only 5'9". Are you serious? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> we have to allow God to do a work in us, and it will come through His Word. It will come through prayer. It will come through fellowship. Fellowship isn't standing around talking about how tall Ichiro is. Fellowship is talking about what God is doing in your life. And if you're not open in that way, if you're kind of closed, like, well, you know, uh, I don't talk about the Lord and it's private matter. If that's how you are, you're not you're missing out on allowing the Lord to do a work in you. And I'll say this as well. You're missing out on being used by him because, you know, how many times I've been spoken to by people and just normal conversation and just fellowship. And they didn't even realize it. But they just totally smoked me with something they said. And it was like, man, I can't tell you how many times a friend of mine has just nailed me with his relationship with his wife. Not at all trying to, but just talking about how much he loves his wife and how much he adores her and cherishes her. And he's not condemning me. He's not saying anything. He's just talking about his relationship with his wife. And meanwhile, I'm going, man, that, that isn't true in my life. I want it to be, but it's not. And I'm convicted just by what he's saying. And so there's fellowship. And if you're not allowing that to happen in your life, you will be missing out. And so God is doing a work in us, God's doing a work through us. He says we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, wait a second. Verse 9 says it's not of works. Now, Paul's saying in the very next verse that we're created for these good works. How does that happen? What's the reconciliation here? Look, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved to work. John Calvin put it very well when he said, faith alone justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. You will produce good works. It's just a natural byproduct. It's just a natural byproduct of what God wants to do in your life. Now, know this, that those works cannot be manufactured. You can't drum them up. You can't produce fruit. It will happen. If the Holy Spirit's in your heart, it will happen. And if there's no fruit going on, you've got to wonder, is the Holy Spirit there? Or have I quenched Him to the point where there's no new fruit being developed? You see, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He can't help but change things. Just like when a hurricane blows through South Florida, it changes stuff. It radically changes things, right? And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He will radically change you. It's not like, wow, is that guy really a Christian? I'm not really sure. No, you'll know. If you're asking yourself this morning, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Let me tell you this. You're probably not. You're probably not. And you just need to submit your life to Him. You need to invite Him to come into your life. Quit arguing with yourself about the time that you went to church camp when you were 10. Hey, forget church camp when you were 10. Now you're 30, now you're 40, now you're 50, and it's time to get right with God today. There's no need to debate about once saved, always saved, or any of that stuff. Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get right with the Lord. No need to take chances. But God will do a work in you and through you, and God will produce works in you and through you, and it will be fruit in your life. It will be fruit pouring out of your life. And you know what? You can't manufacture that. You can manufacture a lot of stuff. We manufacture cars. We manufacture books. We manufacture everything that we own. There's some factory. There's some mill. There's somebody who's putting that thing together. But you cannot manufacture fruit. There's not a factory. There's not a mill that produces fruit. Even in real life, it takes a tree that's planted, that's healthy, that's vibrant, to produce fruit. You can't produce it in a factory or by a machine. And the same is true spiritually. You cannot produce or manufacture fruit. People try, they want to sell you books, they want to take you to a seminar, but you can't manufacture it. And if you're trying really, really hard and you're just ah just agonizing over this, look, that isn't the way it's going to happen. It's going to come as a natural byproduct. Of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, are you allowing Him to work in your life? If there's no fruit, then you're not allowing Him to. He wants to do a work. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Work it out. Allow God to work out those things in your life. And then it goes on to say, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. And so we're working out what has already been worked in. See, that's what I love about verse 10, that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These good works, they're already there. They've already been prepared. They've already been created. You've just got to allow God to work them into your life. You've just got to allow him to make it happen in you. The word, prayer, fellowship, obedience to God, they're already there. They've already been created. Just got to walk in them. Just got to walk with Jesus. And they'll be there. They'll be demonstrated in your life. It's not complicated. And so this morning, if your life is being defined by what sin does, don't leave here without getting that right. Don't leave here without allowing what Jesus did for you to radically transform your life. Whether that be for the first time or whether that be a recommitment, or whether that be that you just need to repent and you need to confess your sin. The Bible says that if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Wherever you're at. Maybe you're you're doing well with the Lord, but you know of late, man, there's been death. There's been a leading astray. There's been an empowerment of the flesh. And, and you want to get that right. Or maybe you've been walk, walking away from the Lord for a long time and you need to get right this morning. Or maybe you don't know Him at all and you need to to be born again. Today's the day to allow Jesus to do His work in you, through you, to radically transform your life. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at com, or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening, and God bless.